Social and ecological transformation requires design and architecture fields to develop new, more expansive ways of thinking and acting that better engage questions of ecology. The DFG HRC-funded research project, enacting Gregory Bateson's ecological aesthetics, examines how the work of anthropologist and cybernetician Gregory Bateson might contribute an alternative frame of action to navigate this challenge. These are recordings of a series of conversations held during the two-year running period of the project. In this conversation, I talked to Dr. Evan Thompson and Dr. Bruce Clark. We explore the relationships between the work of Gregory Bateson and Francisco Varela, particularly how their work contributed to expanding our understanding of concepts such as mind, ecology and inaction. So this discussion um, is about the work of Gregory Bateson and Francisco Varela and the, the work that they did to expand the notion of mind in the context of the living. And I think uh, in the discussion, we would probably uh, define what we mean by living, but uh, in general, that what that uh, kind of work did in terms of thinking through questions like ecology or the ecological crisis, I think would be a central focus for this discussion. And another thing I think um, that we will be doing during the discussion is to also not only look at uh, Gregory Bateson or uh, Francisco Varela per se, but rather look at the encounters between their work. And this was, I think, uh, in my mail to both Evan and Bruce, this was very important to me to kind of see how their work comes together and they kind of in the encounter, how they inform uh, each other. So without much ado, I will just um, start the discussion. And if you have any questions, please um, do feel free to use the chat and just put, uh, just write down your questions. And after about like an hour of a discussion, we would then uh, open the, the, uh, the open the session to a live, um, you know, Q&A session as well. So feel free to do that. And I hope uh, Paul will help me monitor the chat. And I'll, now I will be sharing the screen. Um, uh, does everyone see something? Yes. So this is, I'm sure there are some of you also in the audience who have you know, uh, a lot of people might know these thinkers, but some of you might not. So this is just a very rough sketch, which was um, initially a diner sketch in Santa Cruz, uh, which, which I did together with my colleagues when we were there and kind of developed. But this kind of shows some of the thoughtscapes and landscapes of Gregory Bateson's work uh, post 1967. So 1967 is the moment of the Dialectics of Liberation Congress and uh, how Gregory Bateson starts to focus on the question of or question um, the very nature of action and you know how should one act and the question of change, for an example. And you could see different contexts um, and he, you could see him working and um, thinking through these questions with multiple or different audiences. Um, so you see, for an example, New York, you see Esalen, um, the Oceanic Institute, etc. But I think one point of focus for us is the Lindisfarne Association. And this is where I think our story today would start. 
And although it's impossible to give an introduction to all of Pregubate, the, the context that both these thinkers were involved, we hope that by starting the story from Lindisfarne, that you will get, I guess, enough of uh, an idea of um, some of their work so that some of you might want to just uh, return to it and explore further. So um, this is a diagram that was provided to me by Bruno. So I would like both Bruno and perhaps Evan to comment on this. And this again, describes the same landscape in a different way and the relationships. Please Bruno. Sure. Uh well, thanks, and hi, everybody. Uh, I, fantastic to see so many uh, friends and, and, and as well as the, the international, the trans-global event, as Jude Lombardi describes it, that we're about to have here. <clears throat> I, I face this event, I have to confess, with some trepidation because I, I, I don't consider myself a I know there's many people in this audience who are much more deeply read in both of these authors than I am. What I've been working on it and and my this sort of ongoing project that today's event fits directly into I call systems countercultures. So it's a kind of it's a a, a, a phase in the history of cybernetics where all these uh, where uh, so it's on this larger tableau that we encounter the encounter <laughs> between Bates and, and Varela, and we see that it's mediated uh, in any number of ways. But if there's a direct through line, as as I suggest through this diagram, it it's the way that Stuart Brand, by initiating the whole Earth catalog at the end of the '60s. Uh, and beginning every iteration of the catalog with a section called Understanding Whole Systems, in which there was a, a curation of cybernetic discourse that came along as the, they, as the framing for all the other uh, content of the catalog. So this provided a, a, a documentation of the... Uh, of the emergence of the new systems thinking that uh, uh, gradually departs from mainstream contexts and goes into the American counterculture. Uh, and so down, uh, so there's sort of, uh, and then as that project transforms into, uh, uh, once the catalog's first run is completed and Brand takes a break for a few years, and then he reads Steps to an Ecology of Mind, and is in and that is sort of the 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 energizing intellectual uh core of what becomes co-evolution quarter. Meanwhile, uh Heinz von Furster in the biological computer lab and Heinz's friendship with Maturana leads to a, an equally profound friendship with Maturana's student Varela. Uh and uh and and on uh and and contemporaneously, William Irwin Thompson, who is uh getting ready to create Lindisfarne right around the same time as the beginning of the Coevolution Quarterly. Evan can check me on, on the chronology here, but this would be right around 1974. Uh, uh, and 
and, and Bill Thompson knows Stuart Brand because they competed for the National Book Award in, I think, 1972, and Stuart and, and the Whole Earth Catalog won rather than at the edge of history by Thompson. But in any event, uh, these two uh, sort of the brand on the West Coast and Bill Thompson on the East Coast were in uh, significant communication. And Bill Thompson is reading his Coevolution Quarterlies, and this is where he encounters the work uh, of Varela in particular, if, and, and also uh, of the missing uh, pieces of, of our mandala here, which I uh, are really not today's story, but to complete the mandala, we would have to add Lovelock and Margulis. Lovelock and Margulis and the Gaia Hypothesis come in in 1975, published in the Coevolution Quarterly. And this is why they too are eventually brought together with Varela, Von Furster, Maturana uh, at Lindisfarne Associated Meetings moving on into the into the 1980s. So that's the, the Gaia volumes of the 80s are sort of the further product of, of all of this interaction. But we're, what we're focused on today can be tracked in the pages of Coevolution Quarterly. As far as the documentary record goes, th this is where we see the closest approach, uh, uh, or at least uh, at the beginnings of the, the uh, several years in which Bateson and Varela uh, interacted with, with each other directly in terms of uh, uh, meetings that were sponsored by Stuart Brand and Gregory Bateson, and that was the Mind-Body Dualism Conference of 1976. Uh, and then just a year later, Bateson and Varela are with Bill Thompson in Southampton or at the Manhattan campus of Lindisfarne, and they're sitting in the same room together uh, listening to each other speak and bouncing off each other's ideas. So, in a nutshell, that's the that's the terrain on which uh, today's encounter can be plotted. Yes, Evan. I mean, I think Lindisfarne is part of Evan's personal story. So, I think Evan can speak to Lindisfarne as context, but also through your own story. Yeah. Um, so I can give, I suppose, a, a kind of um, insider perspective on that. I mean, people should realize these are these are really childhood memories for me. Um, so it's it's remembering, you know, <laughs> much later, many years later, and and obviously with uh, a lot more knowledge about things that I didn't have at that time. But um, the history of of Lindisfarne in in our discussion of the relationship between Bateson and Varela is that my father, William Arman Thompson, so he, he with my mother, Gail Thompson, started Lindisfarne in the fall of 1973. And then the following summer, uh, summer of 1974, there was the first of the Lindisfarne conferences. It was a 10-day uh, event and happened in August. And Gregory Bateson wasn't present at that conference, but the conference that was held the following year was the first time that he that he came to Lindisfarne. And this was a very uh, dramatic, significant moment because the conference basically consisted in a, in a debate, you could say, between Gregory Bateson's perspective and Jonas Salk's perspective on 
the, the present cultural crisis and, and the future of humanity. And so a lot of um, Bateson's ideas about the effects of conscious purpose on human adaptation, the nature of consciousness as a skewed sampling of events, the, the way that we are enfolded into complex systems that we can't really uh, comprehend uh, in their totality because our very cognitive and, uh, and uh, active uh, efforts as agents alter the system. All of these things were really um, in play in, in the conference. And they were very much contrasted with, with Jonas Salk's more, you might say, um, uh, kind of linear managerial approach and optimism about the about the future state of humanity. Gregory was was much more pessimistic. So um, at that event, G Gregory Bateson kind of became one of the intellectual pillars, really, of Lindisfarne. You could say he became the 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 overarching epistemologist. Uh, if you will, of of the Lindisfarne uh, way of thinking, and and in terms of my dad's work, the way that my dad saw it was that there was a linkage between Gregory's work and the economies, uh, the the decentralized economies of E.F. Schumacher, and the ecological work of of John Todd at the New Alchemy Institute. There was a kind of alternative. Um, Cultural ecology would be how my how my dad would have put it. That that linked these thinkers together with Gregory very much as the one providing the epistemological framework. The following summer, so now we're uh, or a couple summers later, nineteen seventy seven, Gregory Bateson was scholar in residence at Lindisfarne. So he lived with us during the summer months, and he was finishing writing his book Mind in Nature. And at the end of the summer, there was a conference that was, uh, and that's where this picture is taken. There was a conference devoted to, to Gregory's thinking. The conference was called Mind and Nature. And so that picture is uh, my, my, so Gregory Bateson is on the left. My, my dad, William Owen Thompson is, um, is next to him. And then Francisco Varela next to my dad. And then the physicist, David Finkelstein is on the far right. So this conference was when Francisco Varela first came to Lindisfarne and he was, uh, it was my father who invited him, but it was at the recommendation of Gregory Bateson. And they had been interacting uh, for a few years beforehand. And the, the conference really sparked, uh, it, it brought, let's say it brought Francisco into that sort of epistemological role that Gregory was also playing in terms of kind of providing an overarching uh, epistemological framework that would link philosophy and biology and systems thinking. So it got very much woven into the, into the Lindisfarne um, view. And one thing I want to mention, actually, um, because it's very fresh in my mind, is that Francisco's book, Principles of Biological Autonomy, which was first published in 1979, he subsequently uh, finished writing that in the late 1970s uh, at, at Lindisfarne when he became scholar in residence following Gregory Bateson. And in the introduction to this book, and this is fresh in my mind because uh, Ezekiel DiPaolo and, uh, and, and Amy Cohen-Varela and I have been working on a new annotated edition of that book that MIT will publish sometime next year. And there will, they will also publish it open access so it will be freely downloadable. The book's been out of print and very hard to get a hold of for, for many years, Principles of Biological Autonomy. In the, um, in the introduction to that book, Francisco singles out three thinkers that have had an especially strong influence on him. And one is Gregory Bateson, the other is Umberto Maturana, his, his mentor, 
and the third is Jean Piaget. So there's, um, there's a, a way that in Francisco's thinking, Gregory plays a role that's very much woven into these other, you know, very pioneering, um, you could say biological epistemologists. And so that's how, how Francisco and Gregory really first uh, came into the, into the world of, of, of Lindisfarne was, was in that late seventies time. Thank you, Evan. Um, Bruno, would you want to add something to that? Um, I think especially uh, this, uh, yeah, idea of, I guess, um, so Bateson's mind and of course then for Varela, what, what that kind of meant. And I think you've given yeah, some, yeah. Sure, I, I would, uh, uh, if you go to the slide, the, uh, I, I look back at these notes and I, I, I would already want to revise them. Uh, uh, but I, I, I was struck, uh, the slide we're looking at here, uh, oh no, I thought it was, uh, oh, well, this is a, it was the one just before that <laughs> from, from CyberNet. Yeah. Uh, going back and looking at this reminded me of the, the, the infusion in Bates and cybernetics of classic information theory. Uh, because uh, this is this is just a, a, a sort of a, a direct application of Shannon's uh, uh, information theory, uh, and and so the the one uh, the sort of line that I would add, at least in my observation of Varela's sort of the formation of his ideas, because we have to remember how uh, what a prodigy. Francisco was how uh, how he was uh, really just in his mid to later twenties when all this was happening and and he was making these incredibly sophisticated syntheses of ideas but of course he was absorbing the the work of these masters that he cites so the 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 one name that I would add uh, in is Heinz von Furster. Uh, and Heinz, and if you study Heinz's work, you see this very dramatic shift from a kind of informatic cybernetic orientation of the earlier 60s, like in self-organizing systems in their environments and the use of entropy uh, formulas uh, uh, to the uh, uh, to the kind of Maturanan turn that he takes towards what we now call a radical constructivism, where where the 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 question of information is problematized and to some extent uh, re uh, sort of uh, the 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 idea of the system is uh, transformed in a way that's no longer uh, set out uh, in this informatic manner as we see here in Bateson. And my sense is that Bateson that but this. This way of talking about ideas and the ecology of ideas as messages within a circuit, and then and then the innovation is to expand and and complexify the idea of what a circuit is and what it can contain. Um, that uh, uh, that uh, to me uh, uh, remains a kind of pivot point. 
uh, as I see it, uh, in that even as Varela will uh, uh, absorb Gregory's lessons in, in, in this profound manner, he will also kind of give them a turn towards the constructivist epistemology uh, in which information is always a construction and not a message. <laughs> and in, in other words, not fundamentally a message in its own right that just informs the observer, but the observer constitutes what the message is going to be on the basis of their own properties. And so let me, let me stop there. For just to kind of then connect that to the kind of cultural space that um, that that uh, that Lindisfarne was, I think, creating. Um, just I'm I'm reminded of that uh, the seventy five conference that um, that um, Evan mentioned, which is also freely available for anyone who's interested. It's in the, the Lindisfarne tapes. You can find it, and it was called uh, Conscious Evolution and the Evolution of Consciousness. And William Irvin Thompson actually says this kind of very interesting in a very uh, simple way. He says that uh, how our being is always more than knowing. And something that actually Bateson brings to the table is to kind of really talk about that. And this to me is, I think, one of the central most things in Gregory Bateson's work. It's this question of our meaning or context is another word, I think, that appears across his work and how that starts to relate to the question of knowing and being right so just uh, i mean because i'm curious i was curious so in these contexts if you look at that conference there were also practitioners and designers like for example the todds and the new alchemists and you know also other people who were already trying out um, certain design ideas and um, it was seen as a space where they were even creating time uh you know a new time a time that's not necessarily um kind of um, the modernist kind of version of it, but looking at a way of creating a new way of being. So uh, Evan, what would you, do you think that like from your own um, experience, how successful were some of these projects or uh, could you see like um, the embodiments of some of these ideas and some of those projects? So just in reflection, what do you think was the uh, impact mm -hmm. of all of it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, success is a tricky word. It's very, no, very hard to know how to measure, how to measure success. I mean, um, one could be very pessimistic about how there was a moment where these ideas were, were really flourishing and, and grabbing attention. And then of course, you know, society into the 1980s and 90s and all the way through where we are now has taken turns that uh, are very much uh, in conflict or, or certainly tension with um with the ideas that were that were being espoused, but I do think that um, that this idea of our of our being being larger than our knowing this was um, certainly very central to how my father thought about the the interrelationship of the biology, the epistemology, the ecology, the design work, and his his way of trying to navigate that he actually says this in his talk in that, at that conference so he he would always give the wrap up talk at the conference so he would he would have the last talk and he would try to you know weave different strands and threads together and and synthesize ideas in his own in his own way and so in that particular talk he really emphasizes the role of the imagination 
that the imagination creates um, a, a space of, of exploration and of meaning and of possibilities for, for design that um, enables us to, to act in a way that I think in, in some respects, well, this was how my father would have thought it, thought of it anyway, that, that Greg, Gregory was emphasizing a kind of slowness, like we need to slow down. We need to move much more cautiously, much more slowly because of the effects of, of conscious purpose on human adaptation, the, un, the unexpected effects. And um, my father certainly didn't disagree with that, stated just that way, but he thought that there was another way we could enter into an imaginative space. So this is very much reflecting my father's thinking as, a, as an artist that you can, you know, the artist uses or enters into the space of imagination, and that has a different temporality, a different time, and enables the exploration of possibilities that 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 can then be uh, possibly uh, instantiated or or incarnated in actual practice. And that was, I think, something that he felt with Gregory's emphasis on on certain kinds of cybernetic models thinking of information in the way that Bruno was just talking about. Um, my father was very attracted to the more kind of constructivist way of thinking about, about information that, that Francisco was espousing at that time and saw the, the role of the artist and the imaginer as, as positively and actively contributing to a certain kind of uh, meaning creation or information constitution. Um, he saw that as, as very much an, an, a necessary addition to the, to the cybernetic perspective um, that, that Gregory was presenting. And of course, I mean, Gregory didn't disagree with this. It was just, it was really a question of, of, of different mental orientations and, and emphases. So that became, I think, a very uh, important element for Lindisfarne as well, because Lindisfarne was always about science in conversation with art, in conversation with ecology, environmentalism, activism, in conversation with spirituality, contemplative practice. And so the, the, the ecology in which all of those things are interrelated, that is larger than our, than our knowing. Thanks, Evan. So I think we will move on to uh, the next part of the discussion, which actually has then to do with you know, what was happening also parallelly at that time uh, in, both, in the work of both of these thinkers, which were in some ways an exploration um, about like different or new science of the holes, or let's say in Gregory Bateson's work, it was about thinking about epistemology in, in a far more expansive or broader way. And for Francisco Varela, it starts to become a way of uh, moving away from very um, cognitivist view of cognitive science or even connectionist view. So this happens gradually, but I think it was um, mainly a kind of reaction that they both had to Western science. And I kind of use the word science, I think, because this um, reference to certain formal logics, it's, it's present in both in the work of both of these thinkers. So here, I think we again move back to the context that Bruno mentioned in his um, short introduction, introduction, which is the co-evolution quarterly and that segment on whole systems thinking. And this is important again, because in this um, short section, you would see in, in a couple of um, issues that both of these thinkers and their kind of writings appear together. And sometimes, for an example, the 
mind-body conference, um, where our last paper was a response to what Gregory Bateson has already set out. So I think we would kind of um, want to move into two of those papers. Um, one being the kind of mind-body dualism conference. And, you know, um, this was a conference organized by Stuart Brand and Bateson, to which I think uh, Varela was a, one participant and he writes a kind of a response. And the other would be this um, uh, text on the, it's a conversation actually with Donna Johnson uh, on observing natural systems. So I, I guess we can start with um, one of these, uh, perhaps not one, not two. And I don't know, Bruno, would you wanna go first or? Well, sure. Well, chronologically, the interview with Donna Johnson is uh, a year earlier, uh, uh, is 1976. Uh, and I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if you have it in your in this particular run of slides there, um, but uh, I don't think uh, so. Yeah, no. Uh, but you could yeah. you could go ahead and describe it. Sure. Well, uh, this is as near as I can tell. Uh, uh, it's uh, okay. Well, actually, the the date of uh, I, this is a a really wonderful entry entry text for Varela. Uh, and as far as I know, uh, uh, it's it was his maiden. Uh, appearance in the Coevolution Quarterly. So that was actually summer 1976. And to the best of my uh, uh, effort to run this matter down, uh, Vrela emerges on these pages because Heinz von Furster has brought him forward to, to, to Stuart Brand. So that's my, uh, and, and just says, this guy's a genius. Uh, send someone to talk to him and and tease out his ideas and 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 so we already see uh, in this quite detailed interview uh, he's moved beyond the immediate discourse of autopoiesis. The word doesn't even really appear uh, in this interview, but rather uh, a a discourse on very much captured by the title on observing whole systems. And so, uh, and so we read uh, the key to understanding the wholeness of system. Of course, this whole systems rubric is very much the uh, Stuart Brand uh, way of framing systems discourse altogether, emphasizing the, the sort of the integrity, uh, the, the uh, sort of yeah the systems discourse is a way of capturing and appreciating the integrity of, of whole uh, uh, entities. And so Varela writes here in response to this very uh, uh, thoughtful questioning from a woman who I've been I'm an, unable to find, Donna Johnson. If anyone knows if she's still around, I'd love to talk to her. Uh, but uh, he says the key to understanding the wholeness of systems is to understand that they're organized, their parts are organized in a circular form. That is, every part interacts with every other part. This gives us a total self-referential system. 
And this evocation of self-reference is really, to me, that's the that's the sort of the particular constructivist note. As I was reading back through Bateson, I was kind of looking to see uh, whether that concept was part of his vocabulary, and you don't really see that in Bateson. You see recursion, you see circuit. In other words, you see kind of analogs, uh, but it's the 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 discourse of self-reference that he gets from von Furster and from Spencer Brown's Laws of Form that to me marks the 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 kind of the the uh, the development beyond Bateson that we're getting out of Varela just at this moment in the midst of the inspiration that he gets from uh, Bateson's, Bateson's ecological sensibility, which is always seeking the more encompassing, the wider universe, as he puts it, in which we see the imbrication of of, of the subunits or the subsystems that are nevertheless parts within this wider whole. And Bateson called that mind. <laughs> that was the ecology of mind. So he still retained this uh, sort of traditionally would be a kind of ideal, sort of the vocabulary of idealism. Uh, whereas what we're seeing happening in Varela is, uh, I. Where, where mind is in Bateson, as near as I can plot this conceptually, just system with a capital S uh, is uh, uh, comes forward in Varela. And cognition then, the matter of cognition is a system, uh, 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 is the production of that particular kind of system that has cognitive capacity. So, Cognition then is sort of the mind term, but sort of uh, uh, stated in a more abstract kind of way. And then you get, uh, and I'll, I'll just, and then that goes directly within that same year of 76 into this uh, contretemps between Bates and, and Varela that's documented in the pages of uh, Coevolution Quarterly. Uh, as a result of this conference that Brand uh, uh, was uh, 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 instrumental in bringing about. Evan, would you like to speak to then the mind-body dualism conference? Yeah, so um, I think in many ways this was the, uh, at least from the Lindisfarne perspective, this was was a kind of precursor to the to the mind and nature conference that my father and Gregory organized because, um, so so Gregory organizes this conference and and you know states in the in the position paper the 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 things that you know that people are to address at the conference. Then Francisco writes the the paper that then gets published as not one that not two, and. It's as a result of their being published in Coevolution Quarterly and my father's familiarity with both of them that then um, he organizes this next conference uh, on mind and nature the following summer when Gregory is finishing his book, uh, Mind and Nature. From, from the perspective of Francisco's work, um, there's a lot of different threads running into the not one, not two paper. It's, um, it's, it's conceptually very dense 
and the there's a, there's there's multiple conceptual threads and then there's personal threads as well so francisco at this point had returned to the united states after being uh, forced to flee chile because of the of the the coup uh and the and the civil war and he describes in a talk that he gave later at Lindisfarne in 1979, which you can also hear at the Lindisfarne tapes, Reflections on the Civil War in Chile. He describes this, uh, you know, personal, existential, cultural, societal crisis and collapse that was the Civil War. And he, at one point, he says that he, that he sat down and and wrote out some thoughts that he called the logic of paradise, and this text, The Logic of Paradise, is in many ways a kind of proto-version of Not One, Not Two. That is, he's, he's trying to think through um, what happens when we have conceptual oppositions or binaries or dichotomies, and we need to completely kind of reframe how we're looking at them by, in Francisco's terms, being able to gain access epistemologically, but also practically, experientially, spiritually, you could say, to a, to a to a meta level would be the term Francisco would use in which those, those oppositions are no longer seen oppositionally, but as, but as mutually implicating or, or um, co-generative in a way. And so he works this out in not one, not two, in terms of what he calls the star logic, where you have things that are usually in opposition and you, you move beyond the opposition or you resituate the opposition by seeing um, that, that, that the kind of underlying generative dynamics that give rise to the opposition and the underlying generative dynamics require you to think about holes and self-reference and complexity all themes of course that you know are central to to gregory's work and so not not one not two is a is a working out of this so there's the there's the link to bateson there's the the personal link to his own um to his own existential crisis and and becoming you know a, a refugee, and then at this period in his work, he's very much concerned. So he's been working with Umberto Maturana on the concept of autopoiesis, the self-making, self-producing nature of the of the whole that is the that is the living being or the living system. And at this point in his work, he's very concerned to develop new mathematical tools for formalizing that in in mathematics and in logic, and this leads him to develop Spencer Brown's work to develop uh, a calculus of, of self-reference and arithmetic of closure, where the, the idea is that, um, whereas in classical logic, you know, paradoxes, of, well, self-reference is treated as paradoxical and as something aberrant and something to be avoided, he wants to develop formal systems in which self-reference is, is actually basic and is, and is generative of the um, of the formal system, so he's working on this as a kind of abstract, you might say, mathematical way of, of of really modeling what is very much concretely embedded in the living, the living being, the living system, both in the in the paradigm case of the autopoietic single cell, but also in in you know in multicellular life, in animal colonies, in ecosystems, and. And, and the concept that really becomes central for him, for, Fran, for Francisco, is, is the idea of autonomy, that there's a, in the, in the, in the sort of classic sense of a self-governing, self-legislating uh, and creating uh, system, 
that uh, then eventually leads him to actually problematize the very notion of a system. This is later, maybe down the road a little bit in terms of our story. Uh, so that would be an interesting thing to talk about in terms of, you know, Gregory very much starts out in systems theory. And of course, Francisco is part of that. Um, but, but in terms of how Francisco thinks of the, of the role of the human agent and human experiencer and the observer and really our being always being more than our knowing, this leads him to, to express reservations about the very concept of a system when we, when we then try to turn back onto ourselves and apply that concept to ourselves. Yes. Um, Bruno, do you want to add to that? Because, and just so our viewers know, so this um, this Bruno and I going through these slides like back and forth is because we have developed a parallel. <laughs> so that's a little <laughs> bit of that. <laughs> and uh, so I actually, uh, I, I put up the, the salient passage from uh, Francisco's reflections on the Chilean Civil War, which are pretty remarkable. Uh, and, and you see uh, where he's talking about, yeah, it's here. Uh, no, that's it at the very end, going for, go for, uh, forward. Forward, yeah. No, keep going. <laughs> yeah, now, so here, why don't we pause here because it, um, this is the very, the, the last bit of form, substance, and difference, sort of one of the, you know, absolutely central essays from Steps to an Ecology of Mind. Uh, and here's this kind of canonical passage about uh, uh, moving into the wider uh, universe, uh, taking the idea of mind uh, beyond <laughs> its containment within within the head uh, imminent in and here's that uh, uh, still residually informatic language messages a larger mind uh, imminent in the total interconnected social system and planetary ecology. Now, if that then is the is the vision is is the ecological, uh, 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 the the result of uh, an ecological epistemology. Then, as he continues here to say, then we've got to learn how to think in this new way. And let me say that I don't know how to think that way. Um, and then we get this fascinating effort to go beyond the 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 delimitation of 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 the individual subject right um uh myself is to me still an excessive did you guys find the skunk object. pardon me no oh, oh no uh, <laughs> right about there i think and it's then a little bit further on <laughs> anyways uh the i mean so it's getting beyond the uh it it's trying to uh envision oneself as a part of that larger mind and this is what happened to francisco so now if you flip to the next slide you get the comparable here is his reflection 
uh, where he's seen these horrible acts of violence and yet has a vision in which the polarity that has created the social uh, 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 nightmare of the Civil War in which he finds himself uh, like a, a, a marked man hiding from the military has this vision where he says, I could see uh, that uh, that even that horrible violence wasn't distinct really from me. I could contemplate polarity and the polarity of us and them, the good guys and the bad guys. Uh, it, uh, 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 breaks down uh, and he finally tries to sum it up. Uh, it was revealed to me in a way that I knew unless I was able to cut through my sense of identity and attachment and identification with what I believe are my ideas, my things, my territory, my limits, I had no hope of understanding what the hell was going on. So this seems to me like a, a, an incredible moment of, of uh, uh, I mean, a visionary state induced by this moment of existential extremity in which he has a vision, uh, uh, that vision that where polarity, that polarity is the pathology and, 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 the, and the remedy is understanding mutual the mutual specification that by which we're all gathered into this larger universe of for which we're all responsible in part. It's now, now. <laughs> I'll stop. No, no, go ahead. Complete your thought. <laughs> oh, well, if you go back to, I mean, because of, uh, it's just at the very end of form, substance, and difference. If you just flip it back to the previous slide, we get this brouhaha going on nowadays with the tripping and utopia business, which we might as well mention. So there's Bateson saying with perfect candor, which was not probably very discreet of him uh, in the longer view, but it's, it's a heroic moment, it seems to me, uh, I, he says, I don't know how to think this way, but under LSD, I have experienced the disappearance of the division between the self and the music. This state is surely more correct than the state in which it seems to me that just I hear the music. Which so there again is, is, is the, uh, the, the mind expanding moment corralled into the new epistemological thought. Which actually takes us to the, the next section when we could actually return back to the question of autonomy, which I think is, is very important to probably also discuss um, again in Varela's work. But I think because you brought it to a point where we were talking about how do we then operate, um, you know, if we um, is there a way to operate with, without that ego self or with the, with a different identification of the self? And I think this is where I, their research starts to, uh, I mean, they have like, they, they explore this in different ways. And Gregory Bateson, for an example, talks about this as a kind of movement beyond ways of working with the conscious purpose. And in Francisco Varela's work, then um, this moves from, I think, his early work towards the notion of the um, embodied mind 
and and of course kind of creating this parallel or looking at other praxis traditions where the self uh, where there is a way to kind of engage this different version of the self so i think this takes us to i think one of the central questions in our um for our research team which is also the question of action and crisis but rather than going into this kind of broad question just going back to varela and uh, bateson at the moment so perhaps Evan could add to this a little bit on, on how you think, uh, for an example, Varela started to then um, find a way to, to address that question of moving beyond the ego self and kind of uh, understanding the self in an expanded way mm -hmm. in the context of yeah. that. <laughs> so again, there's, there's a number of different threads that are woven into that. So, um, so, so Gregory Bateson dies in 1980. Prior to that, in the 1970s, you know, Francisco had had this experience uh, in Chile, going back to Chile after after studying at Harvard, then coming back to the United States. Uh, he meets Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, the Tibetan Buddhist teacher in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Francisco is working at Denver and living in Boulder. And he, he begins studying Buddhism, uh, which for him at the beginning just meant studying meditation but then eventually he's drawn into an interest in the in the buddhist intellectual tradition and this is uh this is very much present when he arrives at lindisfarne in the 1970s and is part of the you know the larger conversations that are happening at the conference and in you know in the break time and in the kitchen and and certainly when then we all live together at lindisfarne in manhattan then he publishes or finishes uh Principles of Biological Autonomy in 1979, which which kind of synthesizes and wraps up in a way the work that he'd been he had been doing up to that point, very influenced by von Forster, Maturana, by by Gregory Bateson, and then going forward into the 1980s, his thought develops in a way that that the word inaction then comes to signify the the term inaction for the so-called inactive approach in cognitive science which we present in The Embodied Mind, published in 1991, but Francisco is developing this in the, in the 1980s and, and hits on the word inaction, which, um, which had been earlier used by Jerome Bruner to mean a kind of um, uh, know-how or knowledge that's based essentially in, in practice or praxis. He hits on this word in like 1985 or so, and that comes to signify for him a way of thinking about cognition as action. Very much, you know, in in continuity with with the deep uh, the deep threads of of Bateson's work, but really now developed uh, for Francisco in a way that he sees as as a, a, a step or movement away from a certain kind of constructivism, certainly, and certain kinds of you might say first order and even in a way second order cybernetic modeling. Um, it should also be said that, you know, Francisco all along this period is working as an experimental scientist. He's studying the visual system. He's studying the immune system. So there's always sort of the demands of, you know, what, what works from the perspective, what conceptually works from, from the perspective of the experimental scientist. So there's a, a synthesis emerging for him in the 80s building on these earlier ideas, but that brings together much more explicitly Buddhist philosophy and, as Francisco sees it, um, Buddhist philosophy and practice and its, its transformative power for undoing this 
this separate illusory distorted sense of self that Gregory is identifying in that, in that passage and weaving that together with a cognitive science that's emphasis where the emphasis is placed on the body and on action and on, on sense-making as Francisco comes to call it kind of active meaning creation and also the European philosophical tradition of phenomenology increasingly becomes uh, important for him more towards the end of the 80s and into the beginning of the 90s. So there's another kind of conceptual stream that starts flowing into, into Francisco's thinking now, you know, 10, 11 years later after, you know, Gregory has has left us. So that's that's how the evolution works for, for Francisco. But always central for him is this, this predicament of the 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 sense of self that is the constructed, you could say reified, separate sense of self that has illusions about its power as an agent and illusions about the nature of knowledge, that it's, that it's a kind of knowledge that you gain from a separate distance perspective that then you can deploy instrumentally for your own you know, uh, acquisitive purposes and that has an affective investment in itself. So he becomes very much concerned with using both cognitive science and Buddhism to show not only that that's, that sense of self is a kind of construct, but to envision and to pursue a cognitive science that could make a positive contribution to a different kind of self-experience. And, and that's really the project of the embodied mind. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, so, so at this point now I'm, I'm working with Francisco explicitly on these ideas in the 1980s and the, the, the way that we, that we always thought about the project of that book is that cognitive science through its own inner logic has uncovered the, the kind of constructed frailty of this sense of self as a separate knower, a separate agent. But cognitive science doesn't really know what to do with the insight. And what's necessary is to bring into cognitive science a perspective that works directly and pragmatically with lived human experience. And for us in the embodied mind, you know, Buddhism really plays that, plays that role. Phenomenology also contributes to that in the way that both of our thinking develops later in the 1990s. But in the 80s, the emphasis is really on, on Buddhist philosophy and practice as, as a necessary kind of intervention in the very practice and nature of science when it becomes the science of human experience in particular. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm mean, to also compliment that I mean, Gregory Bates and has the just uh, discussions also parallelly partly with the Buddhists, but also yes. with artists. And I think we need to kind of, even for Francisco Varela, I think another thread of this whole thing is, is art, uh, the arts, right? So Definitely. on the one side is the spirituality, but then there is like the artistic research. And I think there was a lot of exchanges that were going on between Gregory Bateson and different kinds of artists, including kind of new um, technology and media artists and parallel experiments running around, let's say responsive environments. And usually I think these threads or this history is read as some kind of a precursor to contemporary um, technological uh, discussions on intelligent environments, et cetera, uh, for a precursor to a certain kind of technological thinking. But I think if you really look at those conversations and the role that Bateson was playing in them, it was far more, uh, it was broader than that. And you can't necessarily, I think, bring it down to just say that, you know, it was uh, some kind of a, pre-discussion about responsive media, but it was actually about response. And I think this is 
mm. very important. And I know we have a Q&A that's coming up, but Stephen has his hands up. So I think perhaps because we were talking about artists, so this is Stephen Nagmanovic. Uh, Stephen, do, do, to add to the discussion, please. Oh, now we've lost him, I think. You lost my muted. Well, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yes, I was so glad that uh, that in the last few minutes, uh, Bruce then led into, Evan led into talking about uh, the connection to Buddhism, because in many ways, Gregory and Cisco Varela and other thinkers like them in the 1970s, suddenly realized that they were catching up in systems thinking and realizing the provisionalness of the self and the provisionalness of the very idea of things, that they were catching up to a 2,500-year-old, very well-established set of traditions in Buddhism uh, and, um, and found themselves making friends with Buddhist practitioners. Buddhist teachers. Um, when Gre I was with Gregory at the time of his death, and uh, he was at San Francisco Zen Center. He'd been close friends with many of the Zen folks, and they invited him to be there. And um, it was very interesting to me as Gregory's student that there I was, and there was Gregory who had just died. And there were these four black-robed Buddhist students, student monks, sitting in the corner who had been for the last several days um, sitting in meditation, breathing with his very difficult breathing, and popping up when something was needed to be done, and being intensely aware of the real world as it is, and at the same time being intensely concentrated on this much larger perspective. Uh, so then Gregory was gone, and here were these Buddhist characters, and I realized that this was the next thing to learn, and that he'd been pointing to that. And Cisco Varela also had been pointing to that. Um, you mentioned Jerome Bruner, who was my teacher before Gregory was, uh, talking about uh, uh, Jerry Bruner had this idea of the three phases of um, of mental physical development, the inactive, the iconic, and the symbolic. And so the inactive was the infant, you know, moving around as a unified ball of action and sensation and everything. And then it, then the iconic images and then the symbolic, here we are, we're big adults and we have all these concepts and ideas and aren't we grown up and sophisticated? So the journey of the practicing artist is to reverse that, to go from the uh, merely symbolic to the iconic to the inactive and to be able to do things. And the concept of practice, you know, that when Gregory left and left us among these Buddhist practitioners, the idea that you can actually do something in your body with or without tools, with or without musical instruments or other artistic tools, or just sitting still on a cushion, and somehow enact these states of mind that seem so exotic, 
from the point of view of the West so um, hard to grasp if you try to frame it in concepts, but actually not so hard to grasp when you practice. It was an extraordinary journey. And so here we are still trying to learn how to practice. Thank you, Stephen. I mean, then before we move on to the Q&A, I think this would be my kind of last um, question to both speakers is to, I mean, we, we spoke of practice and we spoke of a certain kind of action and of course the difficulty of acting. Um, and there's of course a question of ethics that's embedded in this and it's kind of too big, too much of a topic to kind of delve into right now. But when we think about the ecological question and, and this kind of um, the action that comes from beyond this um, tightly um, identified ego self, as one would say, and um, whether we go go at it through the kind of Buddhist traditions or, you know, through art or you know other ways, um, how would you kind of describe that or is it possible or you know the difficulties so any thoughts on that and then we will open it up to the uh, larger audience i think i'll jump in uh i i, I wanted to uh, uh when you elicited the uh the topic of art uh it, it just in the Lindisfarne context for, at, at which we started, uh, Evan, I, I think it's a fair statement to say the arts were generally represented by poets. Uh, and, and Bill Thompson was a scholar of poetry in, in his academic preparation for Lindisfarne, a, a scholar of William Butler Yeats. Um, and so Wendell Berry, for instance, was a, a pretty uh, a constant presence uh, at the Lindisfarne meetings, and and that uh, and, and so I was thinking, and so that's sort of the, the, uh, uh, where that to me connected to, uh, I mean, to to uh, a renewed understanding or at least an enhanced understanding uh, of Bateson's importance for what's now called biosemiotics. So this is something I've been observing in my colleagues for a while, but I really started to understand that in reviewing Gregory for, for, for this meeting today, how Gregory was an anthropologist who started out as a zoologist. Okay, and so it's seen it, and and now the octopus has become kind of the the charismatic, non-human communicative entity. I see Stephen has an octopus on the table <laughs> next to him there, um, and that uh, there's this amazing and 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 Phil Gudemi has a book where the the where Gregory's meditation on how octopuses communicate with each other to resolve. Uh, potential situations of aggression could possibly have uh, a, a way of uh, a message that he wanted to get to President Kennedy during the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's just fantastic stuff. But it, it seems to me that this, this is really the way that in the current moment, Gregory's ideas are being embodied 
right, in the ecology, in, in, the, in the global ecology about which we're incredibly worried about the diminishment of biodiversity. And, and, and one expression of our attempt to get out of ourselves, <laughs> out of our human limitation is this, is this uh, search for interspecies communication. Or, or at least understanding that living beings are constantly communicating in the manner appropriate to their umwelt, uh, their umwelten, and 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 this has to be part of the ecology of mind that he was always talking. About. So I'll just leave it there, and and hopefully some of our our learned uh, uh, audience today might might find something to jump in on there, which would be. Fun to know. Yeah, I would say you know, thinking back to your your first, your opening question about um, you know how successful or not some of these ideas have been, I think that uh, when I'm looking when I'm looking at things in a in a more positive light or looking for positive things, one of the things that's quite striking now. And, and this really requires, as Bruno said at the very begin, beginning, also bringing in um, Lovelock and Margulis into the into the fold of this discussion. But there is now today, in a way that there there really wasn't when 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 Gregory and Francisco were interacting with each other, a, a, a new discipline that now goes under the name of Earth System Science that has very much been informed by the by the ideas of the Gaia theory which themselves through Lindisfarne really were linked to, to Bateson and Varela's ideas. And Earth System Science is a, is a perspective in which the, the, the old divisions, you know, between things like um, zoology and chemistry, atmosphere chemistry and geology, these, these, these kinds of, you know, human created conceptual divisions don't make any sense. And there needs to be a way of thinking about the earth as a whole system that also includes us as, as actors, as transformative actors, you know, that goes under the sort of discourse of the, you know, the very problematic term, the Anthropocene, um, problematic because it emphasizes, Lynn Margulis hated this term because it, and Bruno has written about this because it emphasizes some sort of human specialness. Um, when the, when the microbes from her perspective are, are really the ones who are responsible for just about everything. Um, so that kind of conceptual epistemic, very much linked to the need to deal with our present climate crisis, loss of biodiversity, that that is very much a kind of positive development. And also, and this is something I work maybe more directly and closely with, there's a way of talking about sentience, biological sentience, animal consciousness that was really not present at the time uh, that that Francisco and Gregory were were engaged in conversation. Of course, they would would have been very open to this kind of discussion, but it wasn't. It just wasn't part of the of the framework um, in science, and that's really changed. There's there's now, you know, very serious discussions about about sentience across the animal world, um, about plant cognition, plant intelligence, um, the need to to really rethink the human animal human biological relationship. And the ethical significance of that. So I see those as, and this is reflected in developments in world literature. You know, my my sister, uh, Hillary Thompson, works on this. 
So I think these things are, are very encouraging kinds of um, shifts in our cultural sensibility that, you know, I, I hold out hope for being able to deal with, you know, the, the crises, some of the crises that we're currently facing. And they're fundamentally of an ethical nature. That's the, the, really the link to, you know, to your, to your framing question. Yes, I mean, I, I'm happy to kind of also keep questioning you, you on that, but I think we will kind of move to the chat for a moment. And now I'm not going to pretend that I can read this and get like a sense of all the questions <laughs> so immediately. So perhaps uh, call in on Paul again for help. Um, <laughs> if you, because there are a few questions which kind of start with um, saying that it's a question, I can post those to the speakers or if those of you who have posed those questions if you are still present then perhaps we could some of you can ask those questions directly i would encourage some live questions yes, uh, yes, one, one or two explicitly in the course of things but we've moved on in conversation so if someone would like to raise hand and answer a question that would be guess tyler tyler please Okay, thank you. Great to see everybody. Um, so I was in my 20s when uh, both uh, Bateson and Varela were uh, doing their semester in residence at Lindisfarne, and I was able to attend their uh, both their uh, kind of seminars that were part of their jobs for having the position there. Uh, but I want to specifically talk about Jonas Salk. So what you brought up, Evan, with Jonas Salk was very interesting. I didn't know about that. And I only discovered Salk's work um, about five or six years ago uh, and his book, The Anatomy of Reality. Uh, and I do, it, it really um, blew me away in some way, some of, the, some of the thinking Salk was doing. So I can see where the two of them, where, where your father juxtaposing the two of them uh, Bateson and Salk would have been a really interesting conversation and debate. And since you brought that up in terms of one being more uh, pessimistic about human abilities to think through these problems and Salk being very optimistic, I wonder if um, there could be a little bit more conversation about that. Yeah, I can say some things about that. Um, so you can actually hear the exchanges um at the Lindisfarne tapes. You can hear Jonas Salk's talk, uh, Gregory Bateson's talk. You can hear some of the, um, the Q&A back and forth. Um, and, then, and then the way that my father, from his perspective, talked about them in his, in his wrap-up talk. But um, what Jonah presented was, his sort of main distinction was, were, was between what he called Epoch A and Epoch B. And we're moving from Epoch, Bay, Ep Epoch A into Epoch B. And Epoch B is gonna be characterized by um, you know, greater enhancements to human flourishing, a very kind of, you know, through the, the you know, developments in science and technology. And of course, I mean, Jonas Salk being, you know, a, a major figure in, in 20th century, you know, science and medicine um, is, is seeing things through the, through the success of, of, of that effort in, in, in part. And, and he's, he's diagramming the, this visually in terms of, of, of graphs and, and curves in which, and this is a point Gregory makes, it's not clear, you know, like what the coordinates are and how you would even measure something such that you could have like uh, a, a coordinate space of that nature and, and, you know, plot a trajectory. So Gregory is, is, is being very, very critical and very skeptical 
about the specifics of Jonas, Jonas's presentation, but then in terms of the larger difference, you know, Gre Gregory's, um, Gregory's perspective is very much, actually the way, so this is, this is a little bit coming back to me now, the way that my dad characterized the differences, he said that, that Jonas is a Confucian and Gregory is a Taoist. So what he meant by that was that, you know, Jonas believed in, you know, the, 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 the ministerial, managerial, you know, bureaucratic class of very, very educated, knowledgeable people who are going to run the government and, you know, raise the standard of living, raise the standard of education in a, in a kind of modern scientific way um, modeled on, on, on Confucian hierarchy and Confucian, you know, values. Um, virtues, Confucian virtues. I mean, this is a character, of course, and for, that my dad was very good at. Um, and then he said, Gregory's more of a Taoist. He's like, he's like Zhuangzi, who says, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with the city. The city is a distortion of human relations. It's an interference in the natural ecology. You know, leave me alone in my small village. And if you think that, that, um, that, you understand the the effects of what you're doing just because you can see its immediate local effects, then you're deluded because these effects ramify and have systematic repercussions, especially now we know in terms of sciences of complexity, right? Very small, minute perturbations, depending on context, can lead to huge um, systemic shifts. And so Gregory was, you know, no, we need to live in a different relationship with nature. We need to slow down. We need to be very cautious in relation to... Um, our temptation to act from from conscious purpose, Gre you know, Gregory's philosophy was conscious. This is his expression: consciousness is a skewed sample of events. By consciousness, he he really meant our sort of like cognitive access to our own, um, you know, embedded dynamics. That that's that like what we can think about, what we can see, what we can reflect on, what we can introspect is just a very skewed and biased sampling of what's actually going on. So we need to slow things down. We need to have more contemplative attitude. Um, a Taoist perspective, if you will. And so that was very much how the difference between the two of them played out, at least in the, in the rhetoric of the Lindisfarne context. I mean, they had interactions with each other outside of Lindisfarne. They didn't meet first at Lindisfarne. Um, and, you know, I haven't gone back two, and read Jonas's work. Those framings seem incredibly relevant still. I mean, those oh, two yeah, yeah. that you just, you, you just uh, encapsulated seem totally relevant uh, today. Yeah, I, I mean, I think our situation is only a magnified version if we're thinking of the climate crisis and, and you know, planetary dynamics and, you know, human displacement. And um, I mean, all of that is, is, is just a magnified version of what was the situation at that time. And, and the questions still remain, of course, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. We have some other questions I'd like to move to. Eve, could you come in for your question, please? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a question so much as a comment, but... Briefly, briefly please, we have only a few minutes. I, I know, yeah. Anyway, I mean, I totally agree with the, what Evan just said. Um, and I mean, in looking at, at Bateson as a, as a Taoist, um, you know, Taoism did influence Zen Buddhism. And as I put in the comments, um, your part of Zen Buddhist practice is looking at the Sangha, at the community, and Basin, as an anthropologist, was very much aware of that level of interaction of the community um, and the social and and how that affects what we think of as as individual consciousness. So 
you know, I think in exploring questions about the connections between um, human consciousness and and larger awareness and the larger ecological community, it's important to um, you know recognize the social and um, and in in looking at where we are in the current moment, you know, of yeah. course, I, I mean, when I the one time I did meet Bateson, you know, I asked him, I said, well, you wrote about the the levels of um, cell and organ organ and organism, individual and society, and how does change at one level influence change at the other levels? And he thought that question was important enough to talk about for a while and then said that he really didn't know and it was yet to be explored. And I, I just wanted to sort of, affirm, you know, not to leave out the social level, which again, if you go back to Bateson's work um, in his earlier work as an ethnographer in Naben, that's very much present. Um, and some people called that work and his work in psychiatry behaviorist as opposed to idealist because he did look at how um how people um interact as um you know embodied actors in the world um and you know like so anyway don't don't leave out that uh the the ecological level the social yeah. and and the community right thank you, you I will also, I think there is a Dr. Gopal in the chat, um, but just to kind of add to Eve's social, I think because, I mean, Evan touched on this and this idea of the social and the kind of Buddhist, and I think the what Varela actually works with is a lot of the, I mean, coming from one of the countries that has the Theravada tradition, I think Varela often draws from um, where engaged and practice Buddhism, that is uh, the Mahayana and the Vajrayana, I think, and that, that I think makes a big difference because even if in con context where you have a lot of Buddhism and Buddhist thought, that doesn't necessarily mean that some of those practices get embedded, uh, you know, in the society in a particular way. And I think it's very interesting to kind of really un just understand that in the context of practice in a particular kind of cultural setting <laughs> and where those, um, you know, practice traditions come from. I think. Um, yeah, and, and I don't think it's by accident that, you know, Basin chose to die at a Zen center. Yeah. And, and that the and the reactions to his dying, uh, you know, from what I know, I mean, I think um, it, it did have ripples in that they established a hospice practice there after that. Thank you, Eve. Uh, Dr. Gopal, you have asked a couple of questions. Are you still in the audience? Um, there's one question on Bateson's yes. consciousness. Yes, please um, do ask your question directly. My, my apologies. I'm on a train. So does it Bateson's consciousness regulate free will? Um, I couldn't follow that. Dr. Coppell and I had a brief exchange and he clarified okay. this. Does Bateson's consciousness regulate free will? No. I don't think Free will is a is a concept that really Gregory used. I think he would have thought of that as a uh, as a as a kind of uh, distorted construction that doesn't actually map onto the larger system that is that is mind that is organism in the environment. Because free will presupposes idea of a of a kind of agent with an ability to survey a range of options and then act as an executive to 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 choose or to make a decision and I, and I just don't think that's how gregory would have thought of of agency or or action or or consciousness it it 
possibly Varela, uh, Evan, you might, I wonder what you would think. When Varela talks about autonomy, uh, I mean, and there's a level, that would be the language in which you might capture what uh, uh, a, it's not about freedom, but it's about integrity. Uh, it's about uh, the integrity of, of the, um, uh, well, of the living system uh, with regard to uh, outer determination. So I think that that could be something that free the idea of free will uh, still captures. I don't know. But actually, it's, I think there's an interesting thing, a distinction there. I think for a certain constructivist thinkers um, and the kind of relation to free will and the kind of freedom that comes with that notion is, I think, very different. And I think this is something that Varela and Bateson have in common, but do it differently. And I think it's exactly this notion of autonomy that is not necessarily about individual freedom or which kind of then goes into a certain libertarianism and um, you know, certain neoliberal now versions of it. And I think this is one reason why perhaps Francisco Varela's work now gets also picked up um, in certain ethical, when we talk about certain ethical questions about autonomy and the kind of, um, how do we um, think of systems because they kind of all change through time? What is it that we conserve and how do we conserve it? And in the question of so many contexts where people are fighting for that to kind of save a description, uh, that the, the moment of how do we conserve that, I think becomes a central question. So I'm wondering what Evan and, and Bruce can add to that, because. I, I think I think the notion of autonomy is, is uh, the idea that there are, there are systems that regulate themselves, that construct themselves, that regulate themselves uh, and that those systems can't be understood in a certainly not in a in a linear deterministic way. So some of the of the criticisms of the idea of free will presuppose that what we're really dealing with is a kind of deterministic universe in which there's no room for freedom. But the autonomy perspective is very different from that. Um, it's it's a perspective that emphasizes um, that emphasizes you know interdependency and complexity. Um, and linearity is a, is a kind of special abstracted case for the most part. Uh, but the, the idea of, you know, it depends who's using the word freedom. Freedom is a very, you know, rich word that could be used in lots of different ways. But if, but if, um, if it's being used where it pertains to something that is called the will, that, is, that belongs to the self as a separate reified entity that then is, you know, acting by making choices that would be considered to be you know part of the problem as it were that we that we would think that way uh not part of the uh not part of the solution so there then the, the need then becomes to rethink you know ethics values norms and normativity in terms of what well really in terms of what francisco would call sense making and what since his work has been developed in in the uh work of, of Hannah Dieger and Ezekiel de Paolo on participatory sense-making. And this brings in the social, of course, how, um, how at different levels of analysis of ourselves as autonomous systems, 
how we um, participate in constituting each other's autonomy and each other's sense making, and that becomes fundamentally ethical and normative. There's no there's no way you can talk about that without without bringing in um, the the norms that are always in play in however we do that. Bruno, would you want to add to that? Uh, or should we? Not, not so much. I think there's a hand up. We yeah, should... there's another question. So, John, can you please? Yeah. Yeah, I've kind of restricted myself because my work on epigenetic inher inheritance, I, I think, plays into the question of free will. I posted a, a paper that Bill Miller and I published a while back on phenotype as agent. So that, to my mind, explains free will. It's necessary in order to detect novel change due to an expanding cosmos and an ever-changing environment. But again, I, I recognize that that postdates Bateson and Varela. I just thought I would mention that. I had one thing to throw in uh, 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 marginally uh, 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 connected to the recent discussion, but as I was listening to Bateson at, at Linda's Farn on the tape, there was this priceless statement. And it has to do, and I would connect it to consciousness and epistemology and the need and and the the trap in other words that that what we our wills aren't really free to the extent that we don't un, that we can't get out of the epistemology that that we inherit from the way our very language comes down to us and the and and the assumptions that are embedded in in the common ways of speaking so what what gregory says at one point and i think it was prompted by bill there was an audience member who kind of like threw a whammy at him and then bateson says well language language is pickled epistemology <laughs> <laughs> and which is just such a beautiful you know kind of rich Batesonian way to to kind of imply that our job is to get out of the brine, right? To, 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 to cleanse the brine and 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 rather than being pickled in obsolete ideas and obsolete ways of, of thinking we know how things work in the world. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Great place to end. <laughs> That's all. Do we have any more questions? No. No. Okay. Uh, Philip has made a comment <laughs> on pickle ourselves from it. <laughs> um, right. That's the goal. Yeah. Ah. So I guess. Oh, we have one. So Go ahead. Please. Hello. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, I wanted to thank uh, the speakers today, and um, I I have a question, but um, I, before I say it, I just wanted to give my profound thanks to the speakers, um, the contributors, uh, Gregory Bateson and Francisco Varela, for following their dreams and sharing their thoughts with the world. Um, and in my own life, they deeply influenced um, my path. Um, I went to Popper Kaiser School for Gifted Children in Santa Cruz in the 80s, and uh, I'm sure my teachers were teaching me uh, their thoughts, 
because uh, suddenly I had all of these worries and thoughts about how I could help the world. And um, it influenced my movement to Japan. I lived in Japan for 17 years and I got a PhD in um, how we can use ethnobotanical plants in the landscape to raise uh, psychological ownership and subsequently create a positive flow in social ecological systems. And um, just, uh, it, I feel like it's, it was very influential in my life. And um, before I left for Japan in 2003, I went to a conference in Berkeley, and I'd like to ask, uh, does anybody know about this conference? It was 2003, and it was the Society for Science Within Consciousness. And um, and also, hello, Stephen. I met Stephen while I was in Japan, and I did uh, some interpretation for him, some interpreting. So does anybody know about that conference? I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was mind-blowing for me, and it was at Berkeley was by the Society for Science Within Consciousness, but I haven't been able to find any information about them since then. And I just thought that maybe someone in this group would know about that. No? Okay. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, just my deepest gratitude. Thank you so much. And thank you to Brett Neese for inviting me to these conferences. Um, he's, he's my student and... Um, we've been working together. So thank you very much. Thank you, Sophia. Um, so we have, I think, Amy, do we still have you in the audience? Because um, when I also, I originally also invited Amy and um, Amy said this was before she actually knew Varela, but uh, would you wanna, mm, do we still have her in the audience or not, I think? No one named a Amy. Yes, the she's there. I'm oh. sure. Who do you want to say something quickly? Thank you. Well, I I'm, I'm have learned an awful lot from uh, this whole discussion. I'm incredibly um, impressed by the way you, Delmini, circled around the most important questions and and brought these minds. Um, Evans and, and Bruno's to, I think, talking about some of the most central topics. Um, to add, um, I think um, uh, in terms of Bateson and Varela, as I told you, you know, I was, it was Evans, Evans' time more with Francisco than mine since I met him in 1986, so well after, well after um, Gregory's death. Um, there would be a lot to say. Um, someone mentioned in the chat um, that Francisco did some pretty interesting thinking about his liver transplant. That's one event that I did live through. Um, and he wrote a text on it called Intimate Distances, Fragments for a Phenomenology of Liver Transplant, in which I think it's a little bit of a dense text, but a lot of what's been discussed here could be he unfolds or rather condenses into that particular text. Um, so that's one thing that I could say. Um, and um, somebody also mentioned in the chat that uh, principles of biological autonomy was available for $937. <laughs> well, pretty soon, <laughs> as Evan mentioned, you'll be able to get 
an updated annotated copy by edited by Evan Thompson and Ezekiel de Paolo, um, which will change your lives, um, even your financial life. <laughs> and uh, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of um, Ezekiel de Paolo, um, uh, just a shout out to uh, actually um, Evan brought up this work in participatory sense making and a shout out to the organization that I'm running, which is or helping to run with a team, which is Mind and Life Europe, um, where we will be focusing starting in the month of March on uh, a whole series of conferences on participatory sense making, um, which brings in um, a lot of what we're doing, what you were discussing today in terms of um, uh, autonomy and action, the social, what Hannah de Yeager and Ezekiel de Palo call the, the social extension of an action. I'm not sure that's the best way to describe it, but that's participatory sense-making. And you can find all that information on the Mind and Life Europe website um, for or, uh, starting, we'll be starting on the 27th of March and we'll be including people who work with neurodivergent people, um, people who work in education, people who are working in the arts and in music and et cetera. So I hope, uh, I hope to see some of you there. And thank you so much, all three of you for putting this together. Thank you so much, Amy. And I have uh, added a link of um, the Mind and Life Europe uh, for anyone who's interested to go in and check out this events and so I guess I'm with not that, to everyone hmm? I did uh these are like I think I did did I yeah so I have added two links one is to mine and life Europe and there is one which would be the next um conversation for the enacting sure. ecological aesthetics conversation that I'm having and of course um, Paul mentioned that there will be um some upcoming ASC events as well so just a reminder for anyone and everyone who would be interested in this, um, of all these upcoming events. And I think with that, if we have, we don't seem to have more questions. So I think we would then end today's discussion, which is already kind of 15 minutes beyond what we planned. We have a thank you from Andre. Thanks for coming, Andre. Um, Thanks, Tom, yeah. Andre. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Uh, Thanks, everyone, I, actually, yes. Really? Uh, I, I, I pledge to study the transcript carefully because there are just so <laughs> many uh, uh, great ideas and, and, and interactions there. So, Paul, please make sure that transcript is preserved, if you would. The, ch the and, chat. Uh, thanks, everyone. Yeah. yeah, the chat. Yeah. yeah. Good deal. Thank you very much on behalf of ASC, Evan and Bruce, and of course, Domini for pulling it all together. We hope to see you again. Yes. Our events are monthly. They're, they're usually on the third Sunday. This was a bit unusual, but um, please uh, go to the ASC site that I gave a minute ago and you'll see the events as announced. And if you'd like to be on our mailing list, you can write to contact at ASCCybernetics.org. There it is in the chat as well. Thank, Thank you, you everyone. Much. Thanks to all. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Thanks, Dolmini. You did great. You really did. Thank yeah. to see you. Yeah, Wonderful. thank you. Thank you, Dolmini. Waiting for the music. Didn't <laughs>
Thanks, Fred. Ta-da! Ta-da! Ta-da!